So yeah, this is our first Sunday in a new series. Um, there is no fancy graphic yet. There will be when I upload it to the podcast later on. Um, but we, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about what it is to live faithful in Babylon. And as I was thinking about who could help us do that in the Bible, Daniel came to mind. So we're going to be spending just a few weeks looking at the first six chapters of Daniel. I didn't quite have the courage to think about going through the last six chapters of Daniel because they get a little bit more interesting. But um, we, may, we may loop back and do it when I'm feeling braver in about 20 years' time. We'll see. Um, but yeah, we're going to go through just the first six chapters of Daniel, look at what the, the experience of Daniel and his friends can teach us about how we live in a society, in a culture that is opposite everything we believe. Because I feel like that's the sort of society and culture we live in now. Um, to kick us off, Devereux, could you read Daniel chapter 1, please? Daniel's training in Babylon. That's the, yeah. Verses 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged him. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in his hands, along with some other, some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasures, the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court official, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were able to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service among the <coughs> king's service. Among those which, <laughs> among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Ananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and, asked, and he asked the chief official for permission not to be defiled himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned you all food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then <coughs> have my head because of you. Daniel then said to, him, to the guard whom the chief of official had appointed over Daniel, Ananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then compare our appearance with that of your young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and give them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thanks, Devro. So, <clears throat> this is a story that happened. The temptation, I think, sometimes when we talk about Bible stories is that we think they're nice moral tales. But this happened in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah. That maps with other historical accounts of the time we can say with quite a lot of certainty that was 605 BC, yeah? This actually happened. All of this stuff that we read in the book of Daniel, amazing as it might sometimes sound, was based in history. People debate the, the, when the book was written at times, but that mostly falls down to people that don't believe like you could actually predict something ahead of time. And I believe that God can do that. So I completely believe that the, the book itself was written in the mid 500 BCs. But this story happened on, in 605 BC. And what happened is the people of Israel, actually the people of Judah, the people of Israel had already fallen to the Assyrians around about 170 years earlier. The people of Judah have now been conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He came to Jerusalem, he laid siege to it. This is the city of God. Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. That song we sing, great uh, is the Lord and most worthy of our, to be praised, the city of our God, the holy place. The psalm that, is based on, that song is based on is praising Jerusalem as the holy city. And yet a king from Babylon has come and invaded and conquered. And he's left King Jehoiakim behind as his kind of vassal king, as the king that's going to look after it for him. How did that happen? Well, verse 2 shows us the Lord handed King Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. And if you look in Jeremiah, a lot of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry to the people of Judah was preparing them for this happening. He was saying to them, you are falling into the same mistakes that Israel fell into. And if you don't repent, God is going to send us out. And we're going to spend 70 years away from the promised land. 
but God's going to bring us back. So this was completely within the plan and the sovereignty of God. God has done this. Now that should raise all sorts of questions about the bad things that happen in our life. Because I do believe that sometimes bad things just happen. But actually sometimes bad things happen because in the sovereignty of God, he knows that it's better for us to go through a hard time than it is to go through an easy time and not change. Amen. Amen. That is what God was doing with the people of Israel. But what he's done, he, Nebuchadnezzar has come, conquered the city, taken some of the treasures out of the house of God. You know, these holy things that people were anointed by the Holy Spirit to create, to inspire awe in worship of the people of Israel. These have been taken, and not just taken, they've been put in the house of their God. Again, God's reputation is bigger than it sometimes appears. God is prepared to look like he's been conquered because God plays the long game. That, that land of Babylon in verse 2, um, some translations talk about Shinar. Now, Shinar is where the Tower of Babel was built. Yeah, the people reading this book when it was first written would have thought, Babel, that was where people first started setting themselves up against God. So what you've got is you've got the people of God captured and taken to those that first stood up against God. What on earth is going on? Well, we're going to find out as we go through, but verse 2 is absolutely critical. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. And as if that wasn't enough, what he starts to then do is raid the best of the people of God. He takes some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. And again, historically, uh, the commentaries tell me that this actually happened in three waves. There was the first wave in 605 BC. There was another wave about 20 years later. And there was another wave about 10 years after that of just raiding Israel's best. It was all part of a strategy of domination. Because if you take the wisest and the best of the people of Israel, who is going to coordinate a coup? Who is going to coordinate a rebellion? No one. So he chose the best. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving. I mean, it's like looking in the mirror, right? <laughs> Bless you for choking back that laugh, Linda. The people behind you weren't so kind. No, I, actually, I would not have qualified because I've got a physical defect here that was treated just yesterday. But they took the creme de la creme, the pick of the crop of Israel's best. And they took them to teach them the language of Babylon, the Chaldean language, the literature, the culture, and that would have included things like magic. That would have included things like sorcery, because that is what it took to be a wise person in Babylon in those days. And they were supposed to take, give daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that you drank. And after three years, they were supposed to attend to the king. That was the plan. And it was all part of just making them Babylonian. Yeah? They were 
Israeli. They'd been brought up in, in Judah. So they were Judeans, really. They'd been brought up in Judah in the ways of the Lord, but now they've been taken to Babylon. Everything that marked them out as the chosen people of God was being wiped out, being smoothed out of them, trained out of them. Just imagine it. How would you feel? If you were taken from your home, everything you'd known, taken to a strange land, this land of the people that you have always feared, how would you feel? They go even further. They don't just teach them Babylonian ways. They give them new names. Kids, do you know what your names mean? BB, what does your name mean? Yeah, Beatrice means she who brings joy. Anyone else, any of the other kids know what their name means? Matthew means a gift from God. Matthew means gift from God. I know what Anna means. Because I've got an Anna. Do you know what Anna means, Anna? No. Anna means grace. I know what Noah means. <coughs> Noah means, does anyone else know what Noah means? Noah means rest. Noah means rest. Rochelle, do you know what your name means? Rock. Okay, that's a good name. See, names are really important. Laluna and I really prayed about the names that we were going to give our kids. We chose Anna Brigida. Anna, Grace, Brigida, Exalted One, in the Portuguese version of Bridget, which means Exalted One. So her name means Grace of the Exalted One. Beatrice, she who brings joy, and then her middle name is Grace. And then Noah, Michael, rest that comes from knowing what God is like. We put a lot of thought and chose names that we felt would steer them along the path that God has for their lives. And the people of Israel, the people of Judah, were the same. They were given names that meant something. Daniel meant God is my judge. Hananiah meant God has been gracious. Mishael meant who compares to God. And Azariah meant God has helped me. But they take Daniel, God is my judge, and call him Belshazzar. Bel's prince, or Bel protects him. Bel is the name of a Babylonian god. They've taken God out of his name and put a Babylonian god into his name. Hananiah, God has been gracious, becomes Shedrach, which means led, commanded, inspired by Akka, Aku. Aku was the sun god of Babylon. Mishael, who compares to God? Meshach. Who compares to Shaq? Azariah, God has helped. Abednego, servant of Nabu. God has helped me. No, you're going to help the God. That other God who is not the God you were named after. Yeah? They have gone through and taken everything from them. I think you could be forgiven actually beginning to hold a little bit of a grudge against God. For all that it was promised by Jeremiah, prophesied ahead of time, so you know that it is part of God's plan, 
you could still be forgiven for saying, well, why should I follow God anymore? I'm in the king's courts. I've been picked. I can be trained. I can have a position of power and of influence. I've got nice food, probably better than anything I had in Israel because I wasn't eating king's portions there. I've got the best of the best wine. Yeah, brilliant. But that isn't what Daniel did. Verse 8, Daniel determined he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. See, Daniel and his three friends that he's named, three, three friends, put up three fingers, John, not four. <laughs> Daniel and his three friends were devoted to God. Through it all, even though they had every human physical reason to go with the flow and give up. And what was wrong with the king's food? Well, one, it almost certainly wasn't kosher. And that's in two ways. One, it would have included pork. It would have included things like horse, because that's what they did back then. But also the way that the meat was prepared. Kosher, you have to drain all the blood out of it so that you don't eat any of the blood. They won't have done it that way. They wouldn't have bothered. But also, the other thing with the food is that in taking the king's provision, you're putting yourself in the king's debt. You're basically saying, yes, I've had your food, so whatever you need me to do in the future, I'm yours. David didn't want to do that. The wine, the wine would have been offered up to the gods of Babylon. And he didn't want to do that. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch to not defile himself, to just eat vegetables and water. What's your favourite food? Matthew, what's your favourite food? I don't really know. What are you hoping is on the table in the back? Food. Food, yeah, food, good. There's definitely food on the table at the back. I've not got a favourite. You've not got a favourite? I've got some What's your favourite favourite? Chocolate. Chocolates. Of course it is. What else would it be? Chicken pie. Mummy's chicken pie. As long as it doesn't have herbs in. As long as it doesn't have herbs in. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Anyone else? Rochelle, what's your favourite food? Nuggets. Chicken nuggets. Solid choice. I like chicken nuggets. There's definitely some nuggets at the back, so you're going to do all right there. Noah, what's your favourite food, mate? Ready salted crisps? Yeah, solid. Good choice. Any grown-ups? What are you hoping is on the table at the back? Fish and chips. Fish and chips. Did, did you bring any fish and chips, Dave? Oh, you might not be in luck. That must be something to do with being an electrician. Yeah. To be fair, it'll, yeah, it fills you up at the end of the day, doesn't it? Any other adults? What are you looking forward to? Custard. Custard is a good choice. Custard is good. Is there any custard? I don't know if there is. Uh, any other adults? What's your favourite food? I do like steak. Steak is good. Food's making me well, it's a good job we're going to eat together. You don't have to leave this building before you can have your lunch. My favourite food? Probably steak as well, to be honest. If I have a choice, I would go for a steak. Bacon. It's not bacon. bacon. No, bacon is good. Bacon is good, to be fair. It's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's on the list. Top five, definitely. What? Pasta and cheese. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> honey. Lucky, really, isn't it? Okay, yeah. The set honey. Ah, uh, you've trained her, have you, Eddie? <laughs> right, imagine if you were taken from your home and actually, because of your principles, you felt like the only thing you could have is vegetables and water. Kids, broccoli for dinner. Is that good? Kind of. Kind of. Just Cabbage for dinner. All good? No. No. Red? No. I'm, I'm with your son, Becky, I'm afraid. You would eat red cabbage. I would struggle. I think people know that I'm a bit of a fussy eater. Uh, I would really struggle with this. But it's not about the food, actually. It isn't about the food. The food is an indicator of what's going on in Daniel's heart. Yeah? And what's going on in his heart is... You can make me as Babylonian as you want on the outside. I know who I am. I am of the people of God and I am not going to comply. I'm going to devote myself to him. And so they devise this little test. You know, the, the eunuch, the chief eunuch doesn't want to allow him because understandably his life is on the line. You know, he's disobeying the king if he allows this to happen. So actually he goes one level lower and says to the guard who the chief eunuch has put over him, look, just give us 10 days. 10 days, veggies and water. And then if we're, if we're starting to wilt, then, okay, we'll fall in line. But give, just see what it's like. And after 10 days, they look better and healthier than all of the other young men who have been selected. Yeah? In the same way that the Lord handed Judah over to Nebuchadnezzar, God has granted Daniel kindness and compassion where he's been placed. And God is with him in this choice and actually against all expectations has nourished Daniel more than his diet should allow. And so the guard continued to remove their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I want to think just a little bit about the importance of, of giving things up. See, I think we in the West are quite a bit like Babylon. Yeah? Christianity was once the default of the UK and the USA and Europe. But now it's anything but. Um, who remembers singing hymns at school? <coughs> Do you still see? Oh, you go to a C of E school, don't you? Give me oil in my lamp. They, do they still sing that one at school? Wow. Oh, you'd be surprised. Do they? <laughs> wow. My kids who don't go to a church school, do you sing hymns at school? No? I didn't go to a Christian school. I just went to a bog standard state primary school. But I used to sing, give me oil in my lamp, give me burning. I used to sing, when I needed a neighbour, were you there, were you there? Yeah. When I needed a neighbour, were you there? I used to sing Lord of the Dance. Yeah. Uh, I used to sing um, All Things Bright and Beautiful. Jesus Wants Me for a Sunbeam. Jesus Wants yeah. Me for a Sunbeam, yeah. <laughs> that was a sunbeam. Yeah. 
what, one of the things that really surprised me when I went to university is as soon as I said I was a Christian, people would say, oh, I used to love singing Shine Jesus Shine at assemblies. Do you sing Shine Jesus Shine at assemblies? It's a good song. We slightly overdid it in the 90s and so we can't sing it anymore, but it's a good song. Of course we can. <laughs> there is a comedian, Jason Manford, who is not a Christian. And just before Christmas, uh, he released a single to support the Trussell Trust called Assembly Bangers. And in it, there was this little light of mine. He's got the whole world in his hands. Were you there? Lord of the dance, give me oil in my lamp. Shine, Jesus, shine. He extended it out to a full eight-track EP of these assembly Christian songs. They don't do it in non-church schools anymore. Yeah? Our beliefs are now assumed to be irrational. Once upon a time, people are like, well, of course there's a God. But these days, nah, science has disproved it, you nutters. There is an increasing ignorance of what we believe. You know, one of the things they love to do at Christmas or Easter time is ask kids, what's Easter all about? It's about a bunny who brings us chocolate and eggs and... No, it's, you know better, Matthew. It's but about Jesus dying on the cross. It is about Jesus dying on the cross, but people outside of church don't know. Christmas. You know, you might as well be like Bart Simpson. It's about the birth of Santa. People don't know what we believe anymore. No, things changed it. And they changed it. That's what they've done. Mm-hmm. They've changed history. Yeah. They have. And whereas once upon a time... The church and Christianity was respected. These days, it's alternative <laughs> spiritualities, New Age, paganism, Wicca, meditation, Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism. They have inherent respect applied to them. But we don't. There was a question I saw on Twitter. Uh, the Sc- Scottish National Party, um, Nicola Sturgeon has stepped down as a leader and one of the front runners as the new leader of the SNP, is Kate Forbes, and she's a member of the Free Church of Scotland. And they're a proper evangelical church. They believe in the Bible, they believe in Jesus, they believe everything, possibly without the charismatic stuff that we do. But people are starting to ask, how can a Christian be the head of the SNP? And so someone asked on Twitter, are we really saying that a devout Hindu can end up in number 10, but a similarly devout Christian shouldn't end up in Butte House. Is that really what we're saying? Actually, most people are saying exactly that. Tim Farron, of all the people in the election, where Tim, the last election that Tim Farron was in, there were many, many Muslims. There were many, many Hindus. There were other religions represented. Who was the guy who was asked whether homosexuality is a sin? The Christian. Every other religion would have said, well, according to my religion, yes. But they don't ask the other religions, they ask us and hound him out of office. He was the leader of the Lib Dem party. Media portrayal of Christians. Generally speaking, we're kind of nice but nutty or dangerous and psycho. Watch anything. We're toxic, according to most things, with the exception of Call the Midwife. But that's set in the past. And even in Call the Midwife, in most recent years agendas have started coming in. You can see the the pro-abortion agenda coming in. You can see all sorts of stuff. We are living in Babylon. And the question is, 
do we want to stand out? See, at least amongst his cohort, Daniel and his friends stood out with their choice. They would have been tucking into all the best food and they would have been there with, I imagine, a bit of wilted lettuce, but it might not have been that bad. (laughs) But that's what they're eating. And there's something here I think God wants us to think about, which is how do we live in Babylon but not be of Babylon? We live where we live. We can't change that easily. But we should not take on Babylon culture values in our heart. What would you struggle to give up of Western culture? Certain foods? Maybe music, TV, movies? Maybe a certain hobby or a social group? Remember Terry Virgo talking about how when he came to faith, he had to get out of his friend's group that he had, the social group that he had, because it just kept on pulling him back into the world. And when he got serious with Jesus, he had to just cut all contact because he couldn't be friends with people and be friends with Jesus. Maybe it's alcohol. I know people that have felt called to give up alcohol. And I don't believe it's something that all of us have to do. The Bible doesn't lead me there. But if Jesus said to you, I want you to give up alcohol, would you do it? Yes. I'm I'm hoping, Matthew, you don't have to give up alcohol, but maybe... Don't ever start drinking it. (laughs) But I'm good to hear that you would do. That is good. If Jesus told you not to, that you wouldn't. Maybe it's a job. There are jobs that I have had, or jobs that I've gone after, that I knew had a questionable element to it, and God cut it off. Amen. Amen. But I could have gone for it. I could have got it, and I would have ended up compromised. So my question is, is God asking you to give something up? something Babylonian, something of this culture that we are in that is actually making you settle in and not stand out. I'm not going to point the finger and tell you what it is. I'm going to let Jesus point his finger and say, actually, that. It might be for a season. We're coming into Lent. Pancake day on Tuesday. Woohoo! Lent on Wednesday. Personally, I've never been much of a practitioner of Lent, but it struck me that I was preaching this message the Sunday before Lent starts. Yeah. Yeah? The idea of Lent is that we remember the 40 days that Jesus was fasting in the desert after he was baptized. Yeah? So, is there something that God wants you to give up for a season? I won't talk about what my wife is giving up. I'll talk about what I'm aiming to give up. I'm aiming to give up anything that is just sweet. Laluna is going to be giving up anything that is sweet and alcohol. And fizzy drinks. Sparkling water is allowed, but anything more than that. It's it's not an exclusive or, it's an expanding set. (laughs) Essentially, Laluna is giving up liqueur chocolates. No, no, she's giving up all, all of those things. That's <laughs> exactly. 
Does that, does that mean Pat gets to eat most of it? <laughs> but what, it, what is it that maybe something in this season God wants you to give up? But maybe it's something for good. I know people that work in the finance industry that drink a lot in the finance industry, a lot of bankers and insurance underwriters. End of every day, go to the pub, drink hard. And he felt, actually, to stand out, I need to give that up. As far as I'm aware, I think that was seven, eight years ago, and he's still given it up. He hasn't gone back to it. Maybe God is asking you to give something up for good. Now, this is not about scrabbling around and looking for something to give up. Paul. It's just a thought that I suddenly had as you were speaking about giving things up and we had about chocolate honey. Um, it's almost like what Daniel was facing was that there was a bar of chocolate given to him just before Lent and he had to keep looking at it and not eating it. Mm -hmm. That's a real challenge, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I don't think we should buy a bar of chocolate and just keep looking at it during Lent. <laughs> <laughs> I won't manage that. No, but I'm just saying, for no, no, absolutely. That was really what it was. Yeah, it was. Because his people alongside him absolutely were tucking into that goodness. Eddie? God sometimes makes you very uncomfortable mm. so that you know that you have to give it up. Yep. Mm. I used to be a drinker. Mm -hmm. um, it's a long one. A long, long, long. <laughs> long, long while ago, even before I was a Christian, mm -hmm. that he made my gut so bad that I couldn't drink. Yeah. And people used to say to me, but you used to drink, you know, anyone under the table, which I honestly could do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was using that as something to progress business. Yeah. And when I became a Christian, it gradually decreased mm -hmm. to the state now that I just don't want to drink. Mm -hmm. I have a nice drop of wine, a nice drop of wine now and again, but I won't drink anything else. Yeah. And it doesn't affect my stomach, stomach anyway. Yep. But at that time, it used to affect me in a great, you know, in a great way. Yeah. But God is good. In every aspect, it comes to when you're thinking of doing something like that. The first couple of weeks is dreadful, <laughs> but after that, you just know that you don't need it. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't so easy for him when he was diagnosed diabetic and just before Christmas, and no yes. chocolate, yeah. no mm. biscuits, no pastry things, anything yeah. beige you couldn't have. Yeah. No pies. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Now, what I don't want us all to be doing is scrabbling around looking for something that, that we have to give up. A little bit like came through in the prophetic when we're thinking about revival. We don't go like the prophets of Baal and start cutting ourselves and restricting ourselves to try and make something happen as if we try and impress God. No, God is impressed enough by Jesus on your behalf. You know that? You don't have to impress God anymore. Actually, God is saying, let me impress you. That is the sort of God we follow. But, yeah, God will make it clear if he wants you to give something up. 
And then you can give it up, not out of a sense of trying to earn favour or impress God, but you can give it up out of faith and devotion. Because that's what Daniel was motivated by. And it's not necessarily easy, but it is worth it. You might look a bit foolish. It might be costly. It might make you feel uncomfortable. But it's worth it because of Jesus, who gave up all things for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, well, I think that is the sign, actually, that God was in them deciding to not take the king's portions. And if God is asking you to give something up, it will be for your good. It will be for your benefit. And you can see right at the end of it, God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding and every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions of dreams and every kind. And when the king interviewed them, no one was equal to them. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, the king consulted them. He found them 10 times better than any other magician or medium in his entire kingdom. You see, Daniel fasted and he comes out stronger. In Lent, Jesus in the desert, Jesus goes out full of the spirit. Then he's tested and tempted for 40 days in that fasting period. And Luke tells us he comes back in the power of the spirit. See, if God is asking you to give something up, it's for your good, it's for your equipping, and for your strengthening. See, we find ourselves in Babylon. Actually, step back. Just because you've given something up, if God puts his finger on something and you do it, that is no guarantee of easy street either. The story, end of the story in chapter one, is happy. Daniel and his friends are the best. Woo! Chapter two, Daniel's friends are going to be thrown into, no, chapter three, Daniel's friends are going to be thrown into a furnace. Chapter six, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. So it's not guarantee that you're going to excel in your career, get into positions of influence, and God's going to promote you. Hallelujah. No, but it's going to be for your good. See, we find ourselves in Babylon, but just like Daniel, God is with us. Amen? Amen. We have Jesus' promise that he is with us through whatever comes our way. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Surely I am with you to the end of the age. Surely I am with you. And the guarantee of that promise is the cross. On the cross where Jesus did the ultimate giving up of everything, even of his own life, taking on him the death that belonged to us, taking on him the death that was ours to go through, he died. His body was broken, his blood was spilled. That is the guarantee of this promise. And we're going to break bread and we're going to drink wine or grape juice, depending upon your age or dietary choice. And we do that to remember and proclaim his death. And actually, I think think in some ways, 
coming together as the body of Christ, as the people of God, to take bread and wine together, is our vegetables and water. It is our devotion to Christ, our remembrance that he has done it all. And so he is with us and walks with us through Babylon. So Phil's going to come and lead us in some more songs just as we come out of it. But let's just remember the body of Christ, the human singular body of Christ was broken for you. And his blood, represented by the grape juice or the wine here, was spilt for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have the slate wiped clean, so that you can know his goodness in the land of the living and have guaranteed eternity with him. Amen? As we worship, as we pray, we just feel free to come, break off a bit of bread. We've got some gluten-free bread here as well if you need it. Take a cup. Maybe take it back and share it with someone. Those of you that have got kids here, you know where your kids are at, whether this is going to be something that is just a ritual or whether it's going to be something that is faith. I'm going to trust you guys to lead your kids through this, but come, eat, drink, and remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ broken and shed for you. Amen.